0: everyone, welcome to Now Boarding, a new travel podcast by me, Payal Nair. This show aims at creating awareness about ecotourism, sustainable tourism, responsible travel, and a lot more. We will cover stories and journeys of people who are ecotourism specialists and those who are leaders in their field. We will also be talking to people who have had unique travel experiences, remarkable conceptual places to stay, unexplored cultures and ancient histories of various towns and cities around the world. Join me in this journey of knowing more about travel. Get inspired to see the world and discover your inner self. Hi everyone. Today I'm in conversation with Ali Dragozet. Ali is a marine biologist and she's also the founder of Seagoing Green, which is a company that's based out of Amsterdam. So thank you so much for joining me today on Melting Pot, Ali. Thank you so much for having me. I'm
1: really excited to have this interview on the melting pot
0: and excited to
1: see where our conversation takes us
0: fantastic so I think we should not waste any more time and because I'm also very very curious and excited to hear your journey Mm -hmm. so just you know before we get into um, your main work and uh, as a marine biologist and you know about your company and the impact and all of that just a little bit on your personal journey and your background which you did very briefly mention to me before we started the conversation but of course i'd like Mm -hmm. my listeners to to know a little bit about you so yeah so please do tell us
1: of course yes i was just saying um i'm actually was born in serbia my mom is serbian and my dad is croatian and then we moved to canada to toronto when i was one years old so I, i grew up there but i did have quite an international journey uh, living in France for a little while in Singapore. Actually, I did one of my exchanges there as well before moving to the Netherlands for my master's degree seven years ago, actually.
0: Okay, so where in uh, Singapore did you do your exchange at? At the
1: National University of Singapore, NUS.
0: At NUS. Okay, and how was that experience? Did you, How long were you here for? Yeah, it was amazing.
1: Uh, it was about seven months in total. Definitely think it's uh, one of the sparks for, for forming Seagoing Green, actually, it was definitely that exchange. Uh, I was doing a bachelor degree. I actually started in pre-med at U of T, the University of Toronto. Uh, and then I, I decided I, yeah, I was always an ocean lover. We, we spent all our summers back in Croatia visiting our family, and I always wanted to find a way to work with the oceans. So I actually switched my bachelor's degree then to really focus on um, environmental sciences and oceanography and then the exchange at NUS was for tropical conservation biology so it was really interesting to, to see the tropical side of it but as well Just the traveling around Southeast Asia and seeing the impacts of tourism on the marine environment around was really what inspired me to go deeper into marine impacts. And that's why then after I did my master's program in oceanography and liminology at the University of Amsterdam.
0: Okay, so when did you found uh, Sea Going Green? in 2017. Okay. So so it's it's quite recent. And uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, so and you've just mentioned very briefly what actually inspired you into into starting your company. So, what do you see as the main elements that are impacting marine life today? Mhm. Yeah, I think
1: that there's many elements. I think maybe I can tell a little bit more about yeah founding Going Green, Green and why I actually decided uh, to do this, because I also worked in the tourism industry. But throughout my studies, it was always kind of a, a side job for me. Um, and during off periods between studying, working really within the tourism industry. So I got to travel a lot and understand the industry from the back. From the tourism operator side. And then, yeah, studying marine biology, I was always kind of struggling to find a way to merge these two passions together. It wasn't really a logical merge to me. And then actually when I graduated at the end of 2016, early 2017, the UN actually named 2017 the Year for Sustainable Tourism. And it was really the first time i i heard this term being used uh, in the environmental context back in 2017 and earlier we really talked about sustainable tourism more from the community level but now we were also really talking about the environmental impact of tourism other than it just you know being responsible for about five percent of the world's greenhouse gas emissions we were also looking at water impacts and that's when i really thought hey maybe sustainable marine tourism is really uh, where I could focus yeah making my my big impact and and you know I think the biggest impacts of the oceans uh, there's many unfortunately that are negative but we can definitely think about climate change and plastic pollution sustainable seafood um, I'm sure everybody has watched Seaspiracy at this point and we're all very <laughs> yeah. well aware yeah of that as well as marine protected areas and yeah getting more subsidies for for blue ocean investments
0: so is that something that the tourism industry and the government was marine, you know, sort of taking care of the oceans' priority, and and was it set as a priority in two thousand seventeen or? Have you had to do a lot of, you know, you've had to have a lot of conversations and are there others like you who are also trying to help protect the oceans and marine life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, Back in 2017, it's definitely
1: was a different conversation than we're having now. I think now, you know, ocean plastic pollution, for example, is a very obvious physical impact that we're all seeing. So people are a lot more aware of it. Back in 2017, we were just uh, really trying to get people to understand the relationship between tourism and negative impacts on the marine environment uh, and really understanding what sustainable tourism is and what an opportunity is to really make tourism, this kind of driver for change within ocean conservation. Uh, Now, I definitely think it's definitely much higher up on the list of agenda, let's say, for governments. For example, it's also now the UN decade of ocean science. So there's a lot of movement, research and funding being pushed uh, into ocean science, also looking at sustainable marine tourism, specifically a lot on nature-based solutions and how we can really use uh, nature to, to heal the oceans.
0: Okay so what exactly does your company do how do you mm-hmm. how do you do you create awareness are you doing Stuff on ground. Uh, what exactly do you do? Yes. So, Sea Green Green, we are a
1: sustainable tourism enterprise, really with a big mission to alleviate the negative impacts of tourism on the marine environment specifically. And that's really still our mission statement. We do this kind of in two branches of the company. One is really focusing on the private sector, so directly working with tourism companies such as river cruises, yachting companies, coastal hotels and we have a carbon footprint methodology. So we measure their carbon footprint and we see where their biggest negative impact is. A lot of companies know that they're doing something bad for the marine environment. They just don't know exactly where it's coming from. So then with these carbon footprints, we can really isolate uh, where their biggest impact is and where we can uh, build sustainable strategies from that to lower that impact. All, everybody right now has a carbon neutrality kind of goal, so then our strategies try to get them down to being carbon neutral of course definitely a slow process but that's how we do it and then in the in the meantime we also partner them with any other kind of sustainable partners we have who have products and services that can kind of help them along this journey be it from biofuels to reusable cups and water bottles straws that kind of thing Reef-safe sunscreens and then offsetting as well in the short term we definitely promote offsetting for some of our partners uh, just just start really investing in in some local communities that they operate and buying back a little bit of their carbon that way. But we definitely promote it only as a short-term solution so that they can actually work on their operations to get their carbon lower. And then with the public sector, the other kind of half of our company focus is really working at the destination wide level. So for example, we're working now with the International American Development Bank, working on a sustainable certification scheme for the tourism industry in the Bahamas. So we're really looking at from a destination level, how can we build back the industry better now post pandemic?
0: Do you feel um, any kind of resistance or people are actually tourism companies are actually willing to, to have this conversation and are willing to take your advice and get help from you and try and bring about change?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we had more resistance at the beginning, both being a young company and just how the industry was. But I think now, post-pandemic, it's it's very obvious for, for clients of what they need to do and why. Also, sustainability is a huge selling point. I think that the new consumers, if we're talking about millennials and Generation Z, it really expect tourism to already be giving back to either the local community, the economy, or the environment. So it's also a huge selling point because these consumers really want it. Uh, they have yeah, new spending power and they really want to put it into more conscious kind of travel experiences. So, our, our clients are very well aware of that. So, there, there is definitely year by year less resistance.
0: Yeah. And I guess it, it's still at this very nascent stage. So, you know, the more and the more uh, people like you and your company get involved, I think the better the footprint will be. So, is plastic the main pollutant for marine life? And in the. It, it's definitely the top.
1: <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say it's, yeah, the main, but it's definitely a huge, huge issue. Um, I think there, there's definitely a lot of focus on it because it's something that everybody, consumers can, can really see the impact on right away. When you see a, you know, a dirty body of water filled with plastic, it's very obvious that it's there. It's a problem. It's also something the consumer has a lot of power in. We're the ones choosing those products to use those products. Um, and I think now we're more and more aware of the end of life cycle, uh, issue with these uh, single-use products which is actually what leads to a lot of plastic pollution uh, is that we don't have yeah smart ways to really dispose of them and and then they end up in our waterways so I definitely think yeah it's been a really good poster child let's say for ocean conservation issues uh, because everybody you know can visualize a plastic straw can avoid it and you know uh, go for for other kinds of uh, items.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I mean, I was going to ask whether the the impact of the pandemic has slowed down the progress, but you've already answered that to say that it hasn't. In fact, it's actually created a lot more awareness and people are, are becoming a lot more conscious. So uh, which part of the world do you think needs... This agenda needs to be really, really reinforced. Where where do you think, where you really, really need to address the problem? Yeah, so I would say,
1: I mean, the pandemic has slowed down the private sector, let's say for sure, because of course, tourism companies did actually have uh, to stop and really yeah, go into survival yeah. mode. Yeah. But on the other hand, the public sector was really accelerated because, you know, it was all about building back better. You know, how can we really use the opportunity now with tourism um, to really build back? And we saw how impacted local communities, especially on small island developing states, for example, that really rely on tourism, how their economy was. Was really um, dependent on it, and how when it shut down, it was a huge issue. So then the public sector really, yeah, did uh, did put a lot of movement in there to make sure that we're building back a more resilient tourism economy. But where I would say to focus, yeah, I mean, worldwide, um, our oceans are connected. So I definitely think, yeah, worldwide, we definitely need to push more. But specifically, I think the Southeast Asia region, there's not enough environmental regulations, especially if we're talking about waste, for example. And, you know, in Europe, there's slowly these carbon emission caps, which are kind of putting industries similar regulations and policies so that they know how much emissions they can actually produce. Whereas I know in the Southeast Asia region, there's not as many caps yet. Um, I definitely think it's something on the agenda. It's not quite there yet. So I do hear a lot of waste incineration, for example, companies that then just... Mail and send the, the trash to Thailand, for example, with, where there are no carbon emission caps, and then they end up in either burned or back into the oceans again. So I think uh, areas like that really, really need an extra push.
0: Mm, okay, so it's it's Southeast Asia, you think? What? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, you did say that it's <laughs> the over, but it's it's interesting how you know the conversations are changing, and how because of this very imminent climate change scenario, people are suddenly waking up to the fact that uh, we've done enough harm and we have to now start, if if we really want to save the planet, we have to start acting on it really, really fast. And do you think that the oceans were, I mean, you did mention that it's only in 2017 that, you know, they, they really started talking about the, the oceans and the pollution that and, and addressing it. But do you think that how what kind of a time frame do you think is reasonable for us to actually eventually see a change?
1: Yeah, so ocean issues have definitely been worked on prior to that 2017. 2017 was just the year that the UN uh, named it the year for sustainable tourism. Yeah, uh, but was it enough? It.
0: Was it was enough yeah. work being done? That That's my question prior to 2017. Before.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I th- it's difficult, I think, because there's so many, it's such a complex issue. It's not just, you know, one stream that you have to go through where we're tackling such diverse issues for ocean conservation. So I definitely think a lot has been done before, you know, also in terms of ocean exploration, um, I think was really the focus prior to that uh, is just understanding our bodies of water. And now we're really seeing the anthropogenic effects on the oceans and really seeing what we have done and now focusing on that. So I definitely think, yeah, it's all just pieces, pieces of the puzzle that are slowly but surely coming together. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say a realistic timeline. I mean, I, I would love to say, you know, 2030. Now it's, it's the decade of ocean science from the UN. So you, you would hope that by the end of 2030 that we have accomplished really big impacts in the, in the next 10 years but yeah I think realistically it's going to take a little while longer um, especially if we're looking at you know other industries which are making bigger impacts on the oceans like the aviation industry and then having most of their carbon goals let's say to become carbon neutral by 2050 so then I'm, I'm hoping to say that by 2050 we we are well on our way on solving
0: the biggest impact <laughs> okay 2050 <laughs> okay you <Yeah>, know well yeah <laughs> it seems like it seems like it's you know it's what 30 years from now but mm-hmm. you know time flies so hopefully it it, it will happen more rapidly than mm-hmm. you know than we we're we, we we're anticipating so what are some of your challenges in terms of your company, um, a Sea Going Green, what are some of the challenges that you experience on a sort of short-term level, as well as, you know, how how are you working towards also? resolving it so you know just some of the challenges you're listening to a fusion of stories recounted for the first time ever by some fascinating people from across the globe with me Payo on this very unique and special podcast series Melting Pot
1: yeah, I mean, as a we're still a startup, definitely. I mean, it's only been four and a half years, so yeah. there's many challenges. Uh, <laughs> okay. as a startup also being a female founder comes with its own list of challenges, but I think our, our biggest issue right now is just. I think getting the, because we work in this middle space between the private and the public sector, directly working with private sector and then directly working with the public sector, is learning how to best work in between them and kind of make these public-private partnerships, which I think are really the key in accelerating sustainable tourism. So I think that that's our biggest challenge right now. And the way we are facing this right now, or at least trying to to make it a bit better, is really listening to both sides and seeing how we can partner them together. For example, if we work with public sector on new legislations or policies or tourism plans, making sure that our private sector is aware of those changes and regulations and how they can get their operations to make sense with these new policies, which are promoting sustainable tourism in the end. So it's kind of working both from the bottom up and the top down approach. I think that's always been our struggle is that We are a consultancy. So of course we work with businesses directly, but at the same time, we want to make sure that, you know, day-to-day consumers and travelers and everybody is really aware of what's happening and how they can really make a difference. So that's also why social media is really consumer focused a lot because we really want to to inform the everyday traveler of what they can do to promote sustainable tourism, because they're the ones in the end to choose these tourism products
0: Tourism yeah. companies,
1: yeah, and then they can really tell them, yeah, what more they want to see if they want to see more sustainable tourism, and then that feeds back into you know looping in the public sector, making sure these regulations kind of tie everything together. So it's just a tricky space uh, working between both public and private sector for sure
0: and uh, you mentioned that being a, f- a, a, a woman founder has mm-hmm. challenges can you <laughs> give some <laughs> examples on on uh, what kind of resistance you've actually experienced just a couple just like a couple of episodes that may have kind of made you aware of the fact that it is a difficult space to, to try and navigate through because you're, yeah. and and also very very young, so mm-hmm. I, I'd be interested to know.
1: Of course. Yeah. No, I'm not going to try to make it too negative. Um, yeah, absolutely. Being female and being young, I mean, I'm just turning 29 in two weeks, actually. Yeah, I have had to become very comfortable with having a lot of meetings with people who are at least two decades, if not more, older than me. So I'm usually the youngest in the room and quite frequently the only woman in the room. So it's just about building, you know, thick skin and really being able, yeah, to, to stand up for our views as a company. Company and myself as a consultant as well, um, and, you know, not being just intimidated by the years of experience of the people that we're working with, usually. I know we've only been around for four and a half years, but it's been a very busy four and a half years. We've done projects that, you know, most consultants don't do within a decade of, of time. So I, I'm really proud of our progress, but it definitely comes with those challenges. I mean, you you want to be taken seriously. And, you know, sometimes traditionally people just look at your, your CV and your, your of experience and then you know they yeah then they kind of treat you differently also uh, at the beginning of my founding journey uh uh, yeah for the company really was just asked you know am I sure I want to start a company when you know I might want to have a child and how am I going to do that and whereas you know, my male founders, part of this program, they weren't getting asked these questions. So I think that was very difficult. It's just seeing the obvious divide between, you know, the male founders didn't get second guess, like, are you sure you want to start this company? Because you might want to have a kid in 10 years or so. Yeah. Whereas I was definitely getting that question at the age of 24, which I also thought was ridiculous.
0: Absolutely. But, you know, yeah. it,
1: yeah, yeah, uh, you have to deal with those extra societal pressures I think. Yeah, and then of course trying to get investment and so we're we're not privately invested, but we were uh, thinking about it at some point for a technical product, so looking at investors and how much they actually invest in female-founded companies. And it's a very, very small percentage. So yeah, it's definitely a tricky space, but I am grateful for the challenges because I definitely think it's made me a stronger person. And my whole team is female right now, which is quite interesting. Not on purpose. Yeah. yeah, we've had male consultants and employees in the past, just at the moment, how our team is set up where we're all female. So I think it's, it's quite funny. Um, but yeah, it it is what it is.
0: Yeah. And, and, and like you said, I mean, the more challenges you, you face, the, the stronger you, you become, and the more determined you get to, you know, be able to overcome this this sort of inequality and Mm -hmm. also to get you know your consultancy at a different level so which uh, you said you've worked on multiple projects you did mention Bahamas but I'm not sure if if that was something uh, it was a project that you were working on in the Bahamas or because I I remembered and you you mentioning something about the Bahamas Yes, we're,
1: we're currently actually working in the Bahamas. Okay. Uh, we're doing the uh, recommendations for the implementation of a sustainable and climate resilient tourism certification in the Bahamas for the IDB.
0: Okay, okay, interesting. So do you have any other offices across the world or or it's just in Amsterdam at the moment?
1: Yeah, so at the moment, actually, half our team is based in the US and half the team is in the Netherlands. It, it just happened like that. Obviously with uh, with COVID, we couldn't have all our employees start from Amsterdam right away. So we just started working remotely. So we do have kind of a half-half split right now. We only have a, a physical office here in Amsterdam, but that's also because we, we like to work remotely, especially uh, pre-pandemic. We were going to see a lot of our partners and clients in person. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and meeting up with them. So we've always kind of had this flexible hybrid kind of working. But, and we do work with a lot of international consultants that aren't on our permanent team. But if we do have projects in certain areas... Uh, Instead of, of course, lying down, we like to work with our local teams then so that we hire uh, consultants that are based all around the world so that they can head those projects.
0: Okay, and it also, I guess, is it it has its advantage because then, you know, they are familiar with the culture, with the community and um, Mm -hmm. they'd be able to. I guess their uh, way, their approach would be pretty different to you as an outsider. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, that kind of makes sense. So on a personal note, which, I mean, you've obviously... You are a marine biologist and you know you had clearly you love the ocean and you were mentioning Croatia and the fact that you went back there for your you know your summer break or every summer and you know whenever to go go back and see family in Croatia is absolutely stunning but now I know that it's being completely overrun by by mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> tourism so out of all you know the different places that you've been to which one would you consider your favorite like your app <laughs> <laughs> in terms of, in terms of you know what you may have you know water sports or whatever it is that are more related to obviously the o- ocean and you know mm-hmm. marine life and all of that
1: Yeah, yeah, that's super difficult. um, For me, (laughs) I have to say, because I've I've done quite a bit of traveling. So I've seen a a lot of beauty uh, that we have in this world. And I I have a lot of, I guess, under
0: under the ocean as well, right? Uh, Yes, yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: Oh, for sure. I
0: think one
1: of my, I can't say my favorite, favorite, but top, top 10 for sure is the the Paranchian Islands off of Malaysia. I think, yeah, that that was really amazing just to see that kind of crystal clear waters and it's so remote and hard to get to that I think that the journey uh, really made it. Yeah, made it extra special. Also loved the Gili Islands. When I mean, I went back in 2013 and I have heard since then that it has changed a little bit. So my opinion is definitely a little outdated. But from, from what I remember, just having these small islands with, you know, no cars on them or anything like that, you can only get around with a horse and buggy or bike. I mean, obviously you can bike the whole island in under half an hour probably, but just to see that kind of beauty and, you know, slower living and the snorkeling, I remember being amazing there, seeing some species I've never seen before was truly amazing. But also, I mean, of course, Croatia has a super special like spot in my heart. I still try to spend at least a month out of my year there. Um, and I did this year, which was lovely. Again, also Amazing. Um, Yeah, just like the national parks there and the islands are are really beautiful, but we're definitely seeing the impacts of tourism there even during the pandemic, which uh, is quite disheartening and I'm, I'm hoping that Yeah, it will be higher on the agenda. of (laughs) the new politicians soon. Yeah. And I was lucky enough also during my studies to spend a lot of time in the Dutch Caribbean islands, specifically in Curaçao. We spent a month there at one point during our master's diving two to three times a day. So the dive spot isn't the best, absolutely. I know any divers listening will disagree. But I think spending so much time underwater there, even if it is definitely degraded, you really got to know the marine environment there and there was glimmers of hope there's a lot of good science going on down there for core restoration so I I would definitely yeah say it was one of my favorites for sure
0: Okay, interesting. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm sure there are a lot of you know people who are a lot of my listeners who were you know must be absolutely fascinated and they probably want you to to talk a little more about all the beautiful places that you may have visited, but obviously time <laughs> doesn't mm-hmm. always permit that. So, anything that you would like to end with in in terms of because you did mention consumers and how it's important to reach out to them as well so any anything that piece of advice or any suggestions or any anything that would help create more awareness from your end that you would like to share with the listeners that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. I think us as consumers, we
1: we have huge spending power. And you know, the, the companies change with how consumer behavior changes. So it's I think consumers have a lot of power. Um, and now that tourism is reopening again worldwide, it's very exciting for everybody. I think really being aware where you're traveling and you know, treating it like your home in the end. I think a lot of these, yeah, I think a lot of people forget that when you're traveling, you're also going to someone else's home. So kind of think. How you would act at home is how you should act in these destinations and really try to embrace local culture, uh, local experiences, try to give back to the community. I mean, a lot of tourism companies now are either adding kind of like offsetting options so you can like donate to a local NGO or community group or you can actually participate in a cleanup or something like that. Um, I think really just trying to enhance our tourism experiences now that we can travel again and hoping we won't take it for granted again uh, and that making it really special and just uh, realizing that you are visiting someone's home and we're all aware of the environmental impacts now. So of course, I hope I don't have to remind people bring your reusables. Yeah, try to not yeah, consume a lot of single-use plastics, especially if you're traveling to islands. Um it's it's very difficult to get rid of waste there sustainably. So yeah, I think just raise the awareness, of what would be my biggest tip?
0: Thank you so much for that, Ali. I'm sure you know there are enough listeners who will probably take something away from what you what you're saying. I've really enjoyed listening to you. I hope, you know, this is something that is so close to your heart. And the fact that you're you're giving back and you're you're making such an amazing effort to do that is is very, very heartening. And I wish you all the very best and i look forward to hearing a lot more from you in in the coming years
1: thank you so much it was a great interview i hope it was interesting for for your listeners and yeah please feel feel free to reach out on our website or social media Um, I, i can send along all the information to be in the notes for the podcast as well
0: great thank you so much thanks so much ali you have a great day Thank you, Payal. You too. (laughs) Thank you. Bye. Bye. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Now Boarding, a travel podcast. Check out other episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And of course, don't forget to share your thoughts with us. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes only on Now Boarding, a travel podcast.